Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I tried to announce this on Facebook that we're having this show. I don't know if it actually went out. I don't see it on my Facebook yet. But anyway, uh, we'll just uh, give it a shot and see if any extra people see the notice and uh, tile into the show. Uh, there's an Alexander uh, Suchanitsyn quote that says, We know they are lying, and they know they are lying, and they know we know they are lying. We know they know we know they are lying, but they are still lying. <laughs> so that was his comment about the Russians, and, uh, and uh, not to pick on the Russians because they're in the news. The fact is, they is very all-encompassing. It's not just governments that lie to you. Uh, the media lies to you. Your church pastors lie to you. And the fact is, is they've been lied to before they even began the, repeating the lies they were taught. Uh, I was taught lies in the seminary. And I was taught lies by men who believed they were telling me the truth. And I I remember conversations with different, some of the older priests, you couldn't hardly even communicate with them. They were just stuck in their mindset. And But there were a few that, you know, because these were all missionaries, they'd been out and seen the hard facts of life uh, and had to deal with the real struggle of life. And uh, our, our, our rector, who was in charge of the seminary, he had been tortured in China when he was captured in China by the communist Chinese, and uh, was given this job like, this is kind of going to be your job until you retire. But I found out that after he was done being the rector at the seminary, supposedly retired, his hands were all mangled from torture and things like that, that he became the motorcycle priest down somewhere in South America and would motorcycle from village to village uh, because a lot of the roads were impassable otherwise uh, in order to help the people. And he probably did help the people. He's an exceptional individual. But he, and he might have actually known more about the kingdom than, you know, 90% of the priests that I had to deal with. Uh, he was a, good friend of Bishop Comer, who was actually an archbishop in the church, and supposedly said, I didn't actually hear him say it, when he was offered the position of being a cardinal, which is not actually, a cardinal is not in the church the same way as a bishop or a priest or anything. It's the way the Catholics got it all set up and everything. It's come down through Constantine. It evolved over a long period of time. It's nothing like what Christ set up, but it's what they got. And I... You know, I don't judge people because they're Catholic or Seventh-day Adventist or or Jehovah Witness or Buddhist or any of those things that uh, it's the content of their character. And if the content of their character is of Christ, uh, 
then that's okay. Uh, and I, if it's if it's not, I'll deal with that on whatever level we meet. <laughs> so the fact is, is one of the things about Christianity is we don't dictate. Real Christians don't dictate to other people what they have to think or the way they have to think or the way they have to believe. The, a real Christian is too busy listening to Christ and the Holy Spirit guiding him in his life. But when we talk about some of these things, you know, people say, well, how do you know you believe? How do you know other people believe? And you want to gather with believers, but you don't really know who is a believer. Well, I can guarantee that almost everybody who is somewhat a believer is not completely a believer because we're all on this road, this path, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we may all be in different locations. And some of the people who you see with lots of problems and and uh, have stumbled many times in their life, in the long run, they may be closer to the kingdom than you. Because you can go right up to the gate and not enter in <laughs> because you you refuse to see the lie, you know. We know they are lying, and they know they are lying, and they know we know they are lying. We know they know we know they are lying, but they are still lying. And the fact is, is that we are often lying to ourselves about what we know to be true. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you all right now, in this moment. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you, but you're on another level most of the time. You're caught up in the world and the flesh and the devil and CNN and MSNBC or Fox News. And they're all dragging your minds off into distraction. Or there's a lot of other distractions out there. I mean, you, there's tons of distractions that can consume uh, or regulate your thinking uh, to shake the branches of your tree of knowledge. And so anyway, we're, we're absolutely willing to shake the branches of your tree of knowledge too, but simply to show you that that's, that's a branch of the tree of knowledge. And that may be shading you, shading your mind's eye from the tree of life. And, you know, what do they say? Go to the light. The tree of life is go to the light. But when we go to the light, we bring ourselves. When we bring ourselves, we will come into conflict with seeing ourselves as we really are. And that can be painful. And so, I've had conversations with a number of people. And I have these conversations, actually, to try to see you know, compassionately see inside the minds of other people. And the reality is the conscience that should be showing us the truth, showing us where the lie is so that we can see the truth and reject the lie. And and Timothy, we talked about this mor- this morning, 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared, with a hot iron. Well, who's that? Is have their well? That's just about everybody. Because uh, in my haste, as David said, all men are liars. 
But a question came up on uh, one of the groups on Facebook that I'm a member of. And like I say, I mean, I could be a member of tons and tons of groups and be interacting with all of them. But we have the network. If you want to ask a question on the network, ask a question on the network. And uh, we'll try to answer it or somebody will try to have that discussion with you. I don't always want to answer these questions, but I see most all of the questions. Now, the network is not the living network. The living network is when you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded the church to organize the people, something, the Constantinian church, which is kind of a sign that you're in either a Constantinian church or one of the daughters of the harlot's church because they're not organizing you in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And there's no reason for them to organize you in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands because they have no daily ministration like the early church. They are not practicing pure religion like the early church. They're actually, if you have a need, if you're hungry, if you've lost your job, if you, uh, if your family has fallen on hard times for whatever reason, uh, they will send you to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That's where they'll send you. They will not take care of the social welfare of the people because they're not in that business. They're in the ear-tickling business. So, anyway, this individual, that being said, those of you who listen regularly know what I'm talking about. But that being said, according to Acts 21.25, as this guy writes in his post, we Gentiles who have come into the Lord's family should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Now, the reality is that statement, that sentence is talking about the same thing all the way across the board. From fornication to sacrifice to idols. To eat from, you know, blood and from what is strangled. That is about the same fornication and the sacrifice to idols. That's all in the same, but they're using metaphors. And we talked this morning about Jesus saying the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He even talked, and the leaven of the Sadducees. They all had their own leaven. And he had to point out to the crowd and to the apostles that I'm not talking about the leaven in bread. <laughs> That's not... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something else that spoils everything you do because of things like the leaven of the Pharisees. And what was the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, it was also similar or same, a different aspect, but part of the same thing, the leaven of Herod. And it was spoiling everything, and that leaven was the Corban of the Pharisees. Now, Corban is sacrifice, and we are all supposed to sacrifice to help one another. Every mother sacrifices for her children. Every father sacrifices for his family. And that's built into creation. You know, you can see those videos of, uh, you know, water buffalo and lions attacking the calf and dragging the calf off. And then the calf ends up in the water and the crocodile grabs the calf. And so you got a lion pulling on at one side and a crocodile pulling on the other side. And then finally the bulls 
of the water buffalo herd come and start throwing lions around <laughs> like uh, little kittens. And uh, the little calf escapes from the crocodile and runs back into the herd and says, I'm sticking closer to mommy from now on. <laughs> and you see lions still getting tossed around and everything. It's kind of an amazing sight. And, of course, that goes on every day out in Africa where there are predators and uh, there are herds of animals. And some of the herds of animals come to the defense of the other members of the herd. And they will protect them. And even wildebeest will do that. But most of the time, the wildebeest solution or the zebra's solution to the attack of predators is run. <laughs> That's like the the comedian or the little comic at, at you know you know where you see the scary thing and the the solution is run and so but that's not what wasn't the solution of Christ was to run it was completely different but anyway this guy thinks you know he's asking this question and you've heard me talk about the dunning kruger effect before which is a cognitive bias a cognitive dissidence uh, in which the people believe that they are smarter or more capable than they really are. They think they know. Not so much what they know, but it's what they think they know that just ain't so. And he, he goes on to say, I'm not concerned about the last item, but want to talk about food. Well, earlier in the show, what was they talking about? The harlot riding the beast? And the daughter of the harlots? Well, what's that about? Wait a minute. There's a harlot riding like a buffalo, a water buffalo, or a beast of some sort? Well, beasts were always government and prophecies. And the harlot was somebody who is supposed to be a female caregiver, that compassionate caregiver, but is actually called a harlot. It's not the bride of Christ. It's actually a harlot. It's the antithesis of the Bride of Christ. It's the harlot. Well, of course, the Bride of Christ is supposed to be the church. That's the symbol. Most people, and the reason I, I say this kind of automatically is that most uh, theologians or pastors or Bible interpreters will tell you that the Bride of Christ is, represents the church or the church represents the Bride of Christ. And the harlot would be somebody who is might look like the bride of Christ, might do some of the same things that a bride would be expected to do, uh, but it's not going to be fruitful in the same way. And it's doing it for its own profit. That's what a harlot does. It does it for its own profit. It doesn't have the sacrifice of a wife and husband and family. They're doing it for their own profit. So that would be a harlot. But what's with the writing of the beast? You know, this is all in Revelations, Mark of the Beast. The, what, 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 what's the writing of the beast? Well, that's, they sit on the back of government. They don't actually gore the people or stomp the people or toss them around like those water buffaloes uh, tossing around the lions. <laughs> they ride the beast. The beast does that. You know, that's one of the things that uh, the Roman church said, that uh, they didn't burn anybody at the stake. It was the government that burned them at the stake. 
because they were committing crimes. Of course, the crimes were dictated kind of by the Roman church. They had, they had doctrines and ideas that were unacceptable to the Catholic church, so they were labeled a heretic. And, and I say, I'm saying Catholic church. I, I like to use the term Roman church. Or, or Constantinian church, that would even be better, because there was a church set up by Constantine, very clearly, and we have an article at Preparing You, you can go read it, very clearly, Constantine was not joining the church established by Jesus Christ. He was setting up his own church that looked a lot like the church, at least at that time, looked a lot like, you know, claimed Christianity, but it wasn't doing the same thing. One of the things you know right away that the Constantinian church received millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of property and silver and gifts from Constantine to get going. And there were men who stepped up and said they were the church and uh, they took those things. Now, most Christians... They died only, most Christian ministers and bishops, because all the known bishops at the time, which I think the number was around 1,200 known bishops at that particular time in the network of Christianity, that they were all commanded to come to this Council of Milan. We know, according to the records that they have there, that only about 319 people showed up. Chances are they weren't all bishops, but no more than 319 bishops showed up and less than 300 were there, uh, quite a bit less than 300 were there by the end of the meeting. And uh, the next meeting they had, only 150 showed up. But there were probably three times as many people claiming to be Christians by then. Could have been as much as ten times as many people claiming to be Christians. Because everybody in Milan had to get baptized because that was the command of Constantine. The idea of commanding anybody to get baptized from the government, from a guy who just killed his partner and his, his partner's whole family and tens of thousands of other people, and he's commanding you to get baptized into his new Constantinian church. And they, But he doesn't say repent and get baptized. He just says get baptized. And they all go out and get baptized. And they all, the whole city of Milan, elect one bishop. And a bishop, by tradition, in the Christian church, even at that time, which is, you know, 300 uh, A.D. or so, a bishop was a minister to ten ministers. He, that's what he did. He was a minister to ten ministers, and those ministers were ministers to ten families, ten men and their families. And, of course, again, a family was the grandfather all his married sons and his unmarried daughters, and his wife, of course. That's a family. So, his married sons might have children, might even have grandchildren. That's still one family. That's the way it works. So, when they say ten families, you might be talking hundreds and hundreds of people in a ten-family congregation. It just depends on how prolific they are. (laughs) So, anyway, but a bishop is a minister to ten other ministers. So that's what that's what I am. I'm a minister to ten other ministers. And yet I still have people that want me to be their minister and they're not they're not ministers of a congregation. 
And I've explained this hundreds of times, but I still get people who try to elect me as their minister. And, you know, I'm patient with them. I want them to understand how important it is. Everybody has an excuse why they're not going to pick a minister. Uh, you know, they don't like this minister. He isn't perfect. He doesn't walk on water. <laughs> I don't know. They got all kinds of reasons. But the reality is, is that in, in Christianity, those ten heads of families, especially if they're heads of families, it's often not the heads of families who do this. It's usually people who have no family who do this. And it's, it's been done many times over the years. Uh, but they, they don't see the importance. See, what, if you have no family and you want to join a congregation, you should get to know the other families and kind of sort of be adopted into that other family. You know, like if, you know, if, if you had three brothers, and one of them, there's, there's three brothers out in the valley near us, and uh, none of them are married. I don't know if any of them have ever been married. Uh, one of them just recently passed away, but they have, uh, if they've never been married, then I assume they have never had children. But if one of them did have children, or two of them did have children, and the third one never got married... He should be an uncle to the families of those who did get married. He should be helping those guys who did get married and have a few children raise their family. And he becomes a part of their family. You know, he they don't hire a babysitter. Uncle Bill comes over. Uncle, what was that? The movie Uncle Bob. <laughs> Uncle Buck, that was it. Uncle Buck comes over and he's going to take care of the kids while the parents are gone. And, uh, but that's, that's how families work. They look to each other. Well, in a congregation, we do the same thing. Because we're supposed to be a brotherhood in the congregation, like the band of brothers. If somebody gets in trouble, somebody has trouble, somebody has difficulty, we get, gather to help them out. We don't do that anymore. We go to men who exercise authority one over each other, and we go to them if we have a need. And who sends us there? The harlot church. The fornicating church. Because that's what harlots do is they fornicate. So that that's why that fornication term is there in conjunction with sacrifice to idols. And eating meat with blood in it. And things that are strangled. He says, I'm not concerned with the last one, the fornication. Because he doesn't fornicate. But he does. And that's the point. But want to talk about food. Well, that that isn't about food. <laughs> that goes the same as the leaven of the Pharisees isn't about bread. These are metaphors trying to describe what's really going on in the Christian church. He says, I don't think any meat that we are likely to buy in the supermarket has been sacrificed to idols. Well, actually, there's a thing, and I was going to look it up because I couldn't remember what verse it was in. Um, but and maybe I'll I'll do that. I, I can't say during the break because I never take a break on this. But <laughs> so anyway, um, the uh, but they talk about the shambles, and what it, the shambles is a very interesting con- concept. It's it's like a butcher shop. The shambles is like this butcher shop, and. Um, 
but it's the meat, you know, they, they have these animals that would contend and they would end up being sacrificed. It might be in a, in the, in the arena or maybe just donated, you know, somebody brings in a herd and they donate it or they buy a herd and they donate a bunch of animals and they go into the shambles and they butcher them and they package it up, you know, or in whatever, they don't, you know, put it in handy wrap because this is back then, but they distribute it. There's a thing in the Quran that when you have this sacrifice of a sheep and you cut up the meat after you, you know, kill it in a certain way, you let the blood out of the sheep and all this stuff, then you you uh, cut up the meat and the meat that's going to go to the poor must actually be delivered to the poor that day before you eat one morsel of the sheep. Now, I thought that was interesting when I, I studied about that. But th- that's just coming down to us so that we understand what, you know, what this is all about. Sacrifice to idols was part of the social welfare system of Rome. That meat went out to the people. And the people liked it because they didn't have a lot of meat in their diet. There was no refrigeration. You know, if you owned a cow and you killed it, you're going to need somebody to help you eat it because it's going to spoil. And, I mean, you can do certain things, dry some of the meat and and, uh, salt it and things like that. But basically, when you kill an animal, everybody's going to share it. And that was part of the culture is to share in it. So, but things sacrificed to idols, what are idols? And of course, then I sent off to them, you know, an explanation of this sacrifice to idols. And uh, immediately, and, and an article that we have up on idols. And immediately, people did not like it. Some of them. Actually, I got several likes from some people. But some people did not like it. And, of course, my response was, uh, if you actually understood the methods and means associated with the idols and institution that they represent, you would understand most modern Christians not only eat things sacrificed to idols, but they eat the blood of the things strangled. And then I put down the article on idols that we have at preparingyou.com. And uh, then I got a number of responses. Uh, And, of course, some of the ones who wrote about it uh, didn't like what I had to say. (laughs) So, Which is par for my course. Uh, That's the course I'm put on. Uh, and, you know, I try to be patient with them. I said other things, and I, I'll probably try to get to some of that before we're done here. But it's really, it is important to understand that those idols were representing institutions. The temples of Rome, you know, we have a whole article on the temples of Rome. And uh, I could go into a lot more detail that that about the temples of Rome and how they were used than I do in the article. But, uh, you know, like tables. Paul talks about tables, that those tables are symbolic of a concept. And he's quote, when he quotes the 
his statements about tables, and the word is used several different ways. Paul talks about tables being a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. So how are tables a snare and a trap and a stumbling block? How 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 are they all those things? Well, he's specifically talking about the tables of rulers who exercise authority one over the other. Proverbs talks about that. Uh, Proverbs 1, uh, Proverbs 3 says, uh, Mercy and truth forsake thee, but are to uh, write them upon the table of thine heart. Now, I talked to you this morning about conscience in the Old Testament is represented by the word that is translated reins. And when they're talking about the reins of the heart, they're talking about the conscience of the heart. And there are several other ways in which they use that. And of course, the same word for reins is the same word for kidney. Which is why the Bible instructs us that the Levites, their share of the sacrifice is the kidneys. It has nothing to do with the kidney meat or kidney fat. It has to do with the reins of control of the thing that we give as a sacrifice. Well, tables, if you go to our article, we have an article up preparing you on tables. Tables, the same word that we see in the New Testament translated tables, that, you know, like the money changer tables that were turned over by Jesus Christ, and we have this picture of him tipping them over, but that's not really what the word means. Uh, you know, we see him tipping over tables and chains rolling across the floor and <laughs> everything. That's not what it means. See, the only one who could fire the porters of the temple, and the porters of the temple received the contributions from all the synagogues, all the ministers. See, they were all organized in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. So you gave money to your minister at your synagogue, which was ten families. And then he gave a portion of that to his minister, which we call today a bishop, or should call a bishop. It's not like the bishops in Constantinian church. And then they give, and then, so there's this constant flow upward eventually to what used to be the tabernacle, and by then had become the temple. And the guys receiving those funds uh were to you put them in the temple so that they could be redistributed. You know, whether it was funds, it wasn't always funds. You could bring money or you could bring a lamb. And if you brought a lamb, then it would go into a flock that would uh, be tended by the Levites or the servants of the Levites. And then if there was a food shortage, they would take from that flock to fill that need. You know, like widows and orphans and needy of their society. And so, what they brought to the temple, the temple worked as a sort of a depository for the contributions of the people, which were supposed to be ongoing throughout the year. So, there wasn't a central bank where everything went and flowed, everything of value went and stayed in some giant vault, treasury. Jesus talks about treasury. Uh, but... You know, even the word Corbin, which we see the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. Well, the same word Corbin in the New Testament is also translated treasury. So, and just like the word tables is also translated bank. 
So the table and the treasury and the temple are all aspects of the same thing. Well, if we go over to the uh, uh, temples of Rome and see what they're doing in their temple. Now, I used to ask this question all the time. And <coughs> I used to ask this question all the time. I never got an answer from anybody. I mean, I was dealing with scholars from uh, the diocesan seminary. It was a college. I was going to St. Joseph's College. Uh, it was about 13 when I first got there. Uh, and I would ask these professors. And I, I, I couldn't get a clear answer. Father Dirks. Father Lenahan. Uh, I never asked Bishop Comer. <laughs> I probably should have asked him. Because uh, uh, he and I, we never had any really big... Well, actually, we did have at least one pretty long, intensive conversation. But I was mostly doing the deer in the headlight. Uh, <laughs> I look probably back at him. But he kept having it and uh, came and visited me several times. And uh, uh, I tried to get in touch with him years ago, but... Uh, the people I wrote in the church would never respond. They would not tell me where he was. But he lived into his late 90s. He was at every one of the ecumenical councils. And I could tell you stories. He was he refused to become an, uh, a cardinal in the Catholic Church. Saying that it was bad enough. This is what he supposedly said. I wasn't there. Uh, that is bad enough that he was an archbishop in the Catholic Church. He would not compound his sin by becoming a cardinal. So you talk about your renegades. <laughs> but he was he was really an amazing man of charity. But anyway, back to the temples of Rome. Uh, of course, the, the the real temple that we need to tear down is the temple of your mind that is composed of all the information that you have in your brain that you think is true. You've connected those dots and you've drawn a picture of what you think the church should look like. But it's a distorted picture because you don't have all the dots or you connected certain dots that aren't even a part of the church. All kinds of reasons. And so we're trying to help you reorganize your thing, thinking by giving you the facts nobody else will give you. So there's the Temple of Saturn. Uh, in in uh, And the Temple of Mars and the Temple of Jupiter and uh, Quirinus and uh, Temple of Venus and Roma. Herod built a Temple of Roma. Uh, the Temple of Diana, the Temple of Neptune, the Temple of Artemis, the Juno Manetta. The temple of Juno Manetta. What did they do in these temples? What, what, what was the, what was their function? Was it just superstitious mumbo jumbo or? That's not like Romans. I mean, the Romans were pretty superstitious at times, but they were businessmen. They were They were capitalists at, before Christ. Uh, before, well, at least two hundred years before Christ, they were pretty much just capitalists. But then they begin to descend into socialism. But like the Temple of Juno, Manetta, it minted coins. That's what it was. It 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 was uh, it was the mint. That's where we get the word mint from Manetta. And so that's what they were doing in that temple. Well, that sounds like a government building. Well, it is a government building. <laughs> that's what the temples were. They were government buildings. 
It wasn't a bunch of dancing girls and people going around and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Temple of Saturn. A unique Temple of Saturn constitutes one of the oldest cult places of Rome. Before the foundation, there had been a very ancient altar. And Temple itself was said to have been founded in around 497 B.C., well, that's when they threw out the Tarquinian kings. That's when they had their Roman revolution. The, just like our American revolution, the kings were usurping too much authority and power, and they they kind of wrote their declaration of independence, and they said, uh, we're not going to have kings anymore, and they set up a republic. And uh, it contained a treasury, uh, the Ararium, is what they call it. But it was part of the Roman Republic. What went into that treasury were contributions. When they finally started to build an actual temple instead of just an altar, there were men that were standing there that took like gold coins and when they were about to set the cornerstone, they threw the gold coins down and set the cornerstone on top of the gold coins. And that was, they were saying that that was their investment in this this uh, tabu- like the tabularium, or tabularium they call it. But what did they do? What, what 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 was the function of these temple of Saturn? Well, they kept the birth certificates in there. When they finally, you know, they had some certification of births early on, but it was usually the family that kept track of it. You know, every family had their family tree. They called it a tower. Their family records. You know, I'm the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so, etc. I mean, you can go into Africa. Kutikinte. Uh, that was, they had this family tree that was important. Uh, Sarah, Sarah of Abraham. It was also called Sarah Vista. That meant Sarah of the Tower. Mary Magdalene. Magdalena means of the Tower. It has to do with the family tree. But anyway... Eventually, the government started to keep those records, those birth certificates. And they, where did they keep them? They kept them in the Temple of Saturn, which was literally their Bureau of Vital Statistics. And why did they need those records? To know if you were eligible for the benefits, the free bread, the, uh, uh, if I remember the Latin word, alamina. I think it's that. I might have got it wrong, but I think that's it. <laughs> Which actually means literally food. And why? Because that's the stuff that's sacrificed to idols. You could give money. You could give, uh, you know, there was a 5% tax value on manumitting slaves. That, of course, went to support the Temple of Saturn, at least the Aerarium Sanctius. Uh, which was a special reserve fund in the Temple of Saturn. And uh, that was a 5% tax, so it was forced. You had to pay it in. Where Israel, all their taxes were called tithes. They did it all voluntarily. But in the temples of Saturn, and the temples of many of the, well, the temple of like Manetta, they would bring gold to the temple of Manetta, and uh, you would put uh the gold in there and they would turn it into coins and they would get to keep a portion of the gold for the labor of turning the gold into coins but that's what they did there they did they 
minted coins in the Temple of Ephesus, but the Temple of Ephesus was different than the Temple of Juno Moneta because it wasn't built by one country. Uh, the Temple of Ephesus was built by 127 different countries. And uh, so they minted their own coin. That That wouldn't be a coin with Caesar's face on it. That would be a coin that had to do with the Temple of Ephesus. But these were government buildings providing services to the people. but And those services could be called welfare. And they might give you meat. They might give you cheese. They might give you free bread. Whatever it is that they had in their stores that they were going to distribute, they would distribute it. And that would be eating meat sacrificed to idols. Remember when John the Baptist said, you know, if your neighbor has no coat and you have an extra coat, two coats, share with your neighbor. Then he adds, do the same with meats. He's not talking about steak and lamb chops. He's talking about food. So when they talk about meat, sacrifice to idols, they're not necessarily talking about meat. It could be bread. It could be cheese. It could be wine. All of which were given away through the welfare system, the free bread of Rome. But you were not to eat wine with blood in it. Well, how do you eat? Nobody puts blood in wine. Or cheese with blood in it. Actually, there's very little cheese ever with blood in it, although there are some crazy recipes where there is some blood in the cheese. But the the reality is is that what they're talking about blood in it is that it was not freely given. If you force the contributions of the people, that was considered meat with blood in it because you took it away from your neighbor. That's what blood in your sacrifice means. Strangled. Sacrifice that is strangled. That That's, you use force. You grabbed this guy and said, time to contribute. <laughs> and uh, that's what you all do today. To get free school, to get Social Security, there is the money you put in Social Security is gone. It's absolutely gone. That's just a matter of bookkeeping. You can look it up. Uh, none of the money you receive in Social Security is coming from money you put in. The money you put in was all eaten up by uh, people milking the system years and years ago. So... The only way you're going to get anything out of Social Security is that you send somebody to your children or grandchildren or somebody's children and grandchildren's house and force them to contribute to you. Now, they should take care of you and the needy of society. Your children should be taking care of you. But if you don't do it that way, if you do it the way of the men who exercise authority, like they, in Proverbs, you know, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, in other words, you want, I want this much benefits, but I'm really hungry. I want more benefits, you know. It says, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. And so you can, you can go down to, uh, Psalms 69:22. David says, let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. 
And that, of course, Peter says exactly the same thing when he says through covetous practices, which are practices where you desire stuff at the expense of your neighbor, and you ask men who exercise authority to take away from your neighbor so that you can have stuff, that's pretty much coveting your neighbor's goods. Isn't it? If you want, you want a public school you don't have to pay for, and you want to put it on the tax rolls, so everybody in your community has to pay, even the people who go to private school, even the people who homeschool, doesn't matter. It's not the people who are using the service, it's everybody has to pay in, or you will send the sheriff to their house and take it away from them. That's coveting. Desiring that nice, beautiful school with the new gymnasium, that's coveting. That is coveting your neighbor's goods. You say, but this is the way we always do it. It's still the way you always do it now. But before 1900, it's not the way you always do it. It wasn't the way most of you did it. Even the few public schools around, most people did not go to public school until about 1910 in America. It wasn't that they weren't educated. They just didn't go to a public school. But even in 1910, most of the public schools, the funds they needed to run them were mostly supplied by the people through free will offerings. If you go back to 1810, most of the schools were built, like in some states anyway, most of the schools were built by the militia, which is voluntary labor of everybody between the ages of 17 and 45, <laughs> which we talked about this morning. But that's that's how they built the public schools. And the reason they call them public schools is they were on public land. Nobody really owned them. It was kind of probably managed by a board and understanding how a board worked. But the reality is is that the funds, the resources to create them and maintain them was not mostly tax dollars. It was mostly voluntary contributions, just like in the temples of Rome in 200 and 300 and 400 B.C. was free will contributions. Of the people. And of course their army was militia. You had to bring your own spear. Your own sword. Your own armor. Your own horse. (laughs) And that's the way they did it. Until just before Julius Caesar. Took charge of military exploits to Gaul. They changed things. They altered the way in which they organized their military. With devastating effect. Of course, we did that years and years ago, and we just, you know, we just haven't hit the sidewalk yet. But Paul, he quotes David, and says he does in Romans eleven nine, and David saith, "Let their table be made a snare." He says it, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. What's he talking about? Well, you can go read the rest of that. I, I, I'm going to. I'm sure I'm going to add much more to that article on tables, but I got at least that much down there and a little bit more so that people can start to get it. But the reality is, is yeah, those people are eating meat with blood in it, meat that's strangled from their neighbor. They're taking a bite out of their neighbor. Remember where it says that. Do not bite one another, lest ye be devoured. 
Be careful you do not bite one another lest ye be devoured. He's not actually talking about, you know, Christians actually, you know, biting the guy in the pew next to him. (laughs) He's talking about taking away from the guy in the pew next to him. So anyway, uh, a guy named Alex, he wrote, I think I lost a few IQ points reading this. (laughs) So he actually supposedly did go and read it. Here are a few lines that caught my eye at the end of this really weird rant of a web page. And this is the one on idols, which you can go uh, see. Just look up idols at preparingyou.com. He says, the welfare state is the enemy of pure religion. Well, pure religion is taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. And the welfare state is taking care of people through the exercising authority of rulers who exercised authority one over the other, which Christ said it was not to be that way. But he finds that weird that the welfare state is the enemy of pure religion because, see, he doesn't know what religion is. See, now, on that page, that word pure religion is a link to an article explaining what pure religion is. He probably did not go to read that. And the welfare state, we explained that the welfare state is based on you coveting your neighbor's goods and asking men who call themselves rulers and, and call themselves benefactors who exercise authority will now force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And what David says is what should have been for your welfare will now become a snare because you will go into bondage. You will even curse your children with debt. All done deal. The other line he didn't like was, All socialism involves slavery. Well, of course it does. Socialism is you go to work and do $100 worth of work. Somebody else goes to work and he does $50 worth of work. But you have to take 25 of your dollars or somebody is going to take 25 of your dollars and give it to the guy who only made $50. Now, he may have made $50 because he's incapable of making $100. You know, maybe he's got, you know some brain problems or maybe he's missing an arm or something. I don't know. But uh, the point is, is that you don't get to choose to help him out with $25. You have to give him $25 because your labor doesn't belong to you. And that's what slavery is. Your labor does not belong to you. See, when people were in Israel, uh, excuse me, when people were in Egypt, 20% 20% of their labor belonged to the state. And they could take 20% of your labor away from you, turn it into grain, put the grain in big silos, and use it in case there was another famine. You know, another drought. And that was called slavery. 20% of your labor went to the government, and that was called slavery. That was the bondage of Egypt. Socialism does the same thing. It takes away from... Your labor is not yours. It's maybe 20%, maybe 30%. But you're a slave. There's a, it involves slavery. Another line he didn't like is socialism is the religion of people get when they lose their religion. Yeah, I, that's just paraphrase of another famous quote. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. He doesn't know what religion is. There's a link there to look up what religion. Religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That means taking care of your fellow man. God doesn't need taking care of, but you have a duty to God to love thy neighbor as thyself. Moses said it, Jesus said it, and clearly Abraham did it. 
But that that is an essential character. You have to love your neighbor. You have to care for him. You have to dress and keep the world so that your neighbor can live. That's religion. Religion is not the doctrines you've memorized. It isn't what you think about God. It may involve what you think about God, but religion, from the Greek word threskia, which we have to go to the Greek because that's where you see the word religion is in the New Testament, It that's something you do. It's a duty you perform. He thinks probably, I don't know what he thinks, but he probably thinks religion, you know. But he says, my Canadian social health care system has nothing to do with idolatry. Yes, it does. It is idolatry. And the things that you sacrifice to it are sacrificed to it by force, not by charity. It's called legal charity. And the things that they give out often have blood in it. Especially now that they're freezing bank accounts <laughs> and confiscating money of truckers or what have you. Yeah, they're forcing the contributions of your neighbor. But he's lived so long in this, he doesn't know. His conscience has been seared. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the gospel of the kingdom. He thinks he does. And I wrote back and I said, I'm sorry you do not see that socialism is a covetous practice. And it is. I mean, it's just by the definition. We're going to force some people who do real good to give to some people who don't do so good. Regardless of whether they're, maybe they're only made $50 because they're lazy. Uh, because they're playing around at work. They're not doing their job. They're shooting spitballs in class so they never got smart enough to run a business. Well, I don't know why. But you know what that will do? That will weaken the poor. And, of course, that was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They weakened them. And, of course, we can go look at FDR, what's happened to him, LBJ, targeting the black community with his great society and war on poverty. Devastated the black community. Devastated the family. The family was created by God. It was destroyed by LBJ and the social welfare system. What's going on with the families in... Uh, Canada. It's a breakdown. They they can't even come together to help one another. And there was another guy, Matthew. He made some comments, and I can talk about that. But I don't know. Maybe I'll just have to do shows during the week and just keep posting them. But at least we got this far. But um, I had lots of other comments that I made in that conversation, which has helped me create other pages. But uh, we're out of time. And so I need to sign off. And I uh, see we did have lots of callers. Until we meet again, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.